Welcome back. In this week's episode, we discuss a new Israeli internet censorship law, Israel's fourth coronavirus, and woke Jewish Orthodox teenagers. Joining us today is Josh from Low Effort Zionist Memes. I'm Luke. And I'm Rodi. And this is the Right Side of the Compass podcast. All right. So today we have a very special guest returning from the last time we had him. It's Josh from Low Effort Zionist Memes. Uh, how are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good. Would you like to, for people who don't know who you are, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, I'm going by Josh. I'm uh, from Low Effort Zionist Memes. We're a, we're a meme page and uh, we share memes, ideas, news about Israel, Zionism, the Jewish people. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. That's where we're mostly active at Low Effort Zionist Memes dot three. That's all one word. And uh, yeah, feel free to DM us. We're always open. Awesome. So um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to having a good chat with you. Um, all right. So if you like our content, please like the video, share it with your friends and subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell to be updated on our latest uploads. In addition, we are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Audible, and all of your favorite podcast platforms. If you have any questions, the best way to reach us is in the comments section on YouTube, Instagram, and our Facebook page, Right Side of the Compass. All right. So let's not waste any time. Let's get down to the tachlis as we might say in Hebrew, get down to business. Let's get down to business, as they say. Uh, so we got our first topic today, and we've got Israel censors the internet, or not yet, they will censor the internet. Um, so let's discuss what's going on. There is a new proposed Israeli law. It's called the Facebook law, the Facebook bill, and it's designed to censor speech on social media. Now, before we go any further, we have to discuss what type of speech they intend on censoring. So they intend not on meta, censoring though. what? They didn't want to call it the meta bill, meta law. Well, you know that politics is always like 20 years behind what's actually going on. You know, I'm surprised they didn't call it the MySpace bill. Um, <laughs> um, so Meta's too new. So they're, they're, they use Facebook. But, you know, for them, it's pretty impressive because uh, maybe they were going to call it the MySpace bill or the, the Friendster bill. Uh, so, uh, yeah. But uh, the the idea is that they want to censor uh, speech on the internet, on social media platforms specifically, that can harm someone, can harm national security, or can harm the state interests. Uh, so that's what it says. I'm, you know, so that's that. This is not unprecedented in Israeli law, just so everyone's aware. There was a similar law introduced in 2016 that would have done similar things. That bill was killed actually by Benjamin Netanyahu, so I guess good for him. But uh, we're going to get more into the nitty-gritties of why this is a problem. Now, the reason why it was introduced in 2016 is in 2016 at the time, there was a big outbreak of Arab violence, and the Israeli authorities determined that there was a lot of incitement to violence on the internet. And so they wanted to combat that in the hopes that if you have all these Arabs you know, inciting violence against Jewish people and you just cut that off on the internet, then you're going to get less violence. So, And I'm not even against necessarily that line of logic, but let's discuss the ramifications of censorship with no First Amendment, because even in the United States, you do have some degree of censorship, and not all of it is bad, right? Let, let's, you know, let's be honest. You know? I don't think everyone should be allowed to say anything they want all the time, and, I, and even the 
the Supreme Court has agreed that there are certain things you can't do, uh, such as you can't shout fire in a crowded movie theater, can't cause panic, you can't do things like that. But I think the problem with the Israeli law, the Facebook bill specifically, is that unlike in the United States where there's in general, there's there's like it starts from a position of you are allowed to say whatever you want, and then you know we kind of limit certain things, but they have to be very specifically stated. There is no First Amendment in Israel, so there's no baseline level of free speech that you have, and then you know we kind of curtail it at like the the, the really at the ends of free speech. And uh, what do you think, Josh? Yeah, no problem. Uh, so I, I think a couple things. I mean, uh, first of all. There, there, there are certain realities that Israel faces that the U.S. doesn't face if we're going to be looking at this comparatively. So like the, the actual, you know, the, the threats and incitement to violence are very, very serious issues. You don't have to look all the way back to 2016 when the bill was first brought. You can just look at the war we had in last May. And, you know, the buildup to the war, where did it happen? Uh, it happened on TikTok of all places. Uh, you had Arab youth just sharing and spamming videos of them harassing Jews in the streets of Jerusalem. I wouldn't call that a war. I just want to clarify that. I wouldn't call it What's a war. That? What happened in May, I wouldn't necessarily call it a war. Just want to clarify yeah, that. Yeah, you know, the funny thing, so I agree with you. And, uh, you know, just the funny thing is, and the difference between Israel and the U.S. is spats like that. Um, I think, as far as I understand, it, Israelis do call it a war. They, they face it as a war. And that's the terminology they use. And uh, one, because... Everyone's packed in such a small space uh, that it really is affecting anyone, and and the fact is also like that whole place is is like is well, I think waiting. They to burn would have up. called like, it an operation, I think. I mean, okay, I so fine. So if, yeah, if but the thing about but the thing about that is is actually let's go on a tangent for a second. The idea of calling it an operation and not a war is actually kind of woke political correctness talk not not even necessarily woke. It's more You've politically correct. You've been infected. There. <laughs> no, the the idea is that. One of the things about political correctness, and I think this was spoken about in Michael Knowles' speechless, there I go, you know, uh, which is now out on Amazon and it's a bestseller and you can go buy it now. Uh, if I'm, just market, listen, just market com- for him. Compulsory Michael Knowles plug, is, is that it? I mean, there was a, just as a as a fan of Michael Knowles, there was a point where if I would say the word speechless, I would have to do the whole plug because he, he it was the he he trained us like Pavlov's dog to just market the book. He's a genius, that guy. So I guess the, there's still that little bit part of me. But one of the things he notes in that book is that there is this problem of where we don't say the thing anymore. We use these big fancy words that kind of try to hide the reality. So we don't say war, we'll say overseas contingency operation, right? So calling what happened in May uh, an operation instead of a war, it's a difference without a distinction. The only difference is that operation sounds nice, clean, and sanitary. Like you can have an operation where no one dies, but you can't have a war where just like everything's all nice and dandy. So I, I don't know necessarily if calling it an operation is any le- is any more true than calling it a war. I think, in fact, operation obscures what was going on, which is that there was armed conflict between the Israeli defense forces and the Hamas operatives. If you don't want to call it a war because it's not between two armies that are following the law, then, you know, maybe, but I never considered yeah, that I don't to consider be this. it a war because I don't think it was really big. No troops were sent in, nothing like that. But Okay, so then that's, that's a, a dis- different thing. Well, that's a discussion for another time. But going back, what Josh, you were uh, saying about um, yeah. the conflict in social media. Yeah, no, no. I was, I was just saying, like, like it's, it's, it's the, what the last war demonstrated to us. And again, this is a lesson we also learned in 2016, but it just happens every time is that incitement to violence is a real thing. And it is especially real on social media uh, with regard to the Arab, you know, Arab youth in Israel. 
and, and it really galvanizes people to to come out and and do violence, beat people up in the street, you know, stabbings, you know, the, the, the litany of, of uh, terroristic activities that we see. And so so my only reason for, for bringing that up is uh, this discussion of censorship on the Internet is not happening in a vacuum. There there's it seems to me there is a problem. It's unprecedented because we don't know how to deal with, you know, the tools of the internet and social media appropriately. It's all very new technology, relatively. And um, we're all just kind of mucking around. But uh, certainly, I, I, I think that, you know, and I think you'll get into this, uh, Rody or Luke, the, the language of the bill is too general. And, and when we generalize that far, we're handing over certain powers that we might not want to hand over to, to the government, any government, really. Right, that's that's kind of my big issue with the bill because it's not it's not in the concept, right? Because I can I can entertain media censorship, social media censorship. If, for example, we want to go and and shut down a lot of these like woke um, gender theorists on the internet that are preying on children, I'm totally okay with that. You know, if you want to shut down like transgenderism on the internet, like by all means, let's do it. But the issue is that because it's so broad, right? Then, and this is going to have to do with the next topic as well. Well, what's these? What's stopping the Israeli government from saying, "Oh, well, if you're anti-vaccine mandate, you're you're you are getting in the way of national security because you're 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 convincing people not to get the vaccine, the vaccine, and then they'll shut you down, right?" Yeah the the point is to be broad for that exact reason because if you're broad, then there's room to add things to it later on. It's like, oh well, this wasn't specified, so we can censor you because of this, because we didn't specify on what we can censor right. specifically. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, where it's very difficult nowadays to really gauge what to really censor or not, because like you said, it's, there's a fine line between like, you know, freedom of speech and not freedom of speech. Like we never, when the idea of freedom of speech, you know, when, when it was, you know, at least in America, when it was first created, uh, and I'm not even talking about the the law. I'm talking about the idea because, unlike America, Israel doesn't have rights as privileges. So, so the concept of freedom of speech was made in a time where you didn't have a mass, um, a portal or you know uh, you know a little device you know called a computer where you can get all the information and you can and anyone can post their opinion. You know, it would take a few days for for people to write an article, then put it in the newspaper, then bring it out. It wasn't, you know, not everyone's opinion was out there. So, you know, it was much easier to say, yeah, freedom of speech. But in an age where there's so much, you know, opinion and so much misinformation and you don't know what's right, what's wrong, people's different, uh, people has di different, you know, agendas, you know, e even like, you know, news, not news. So it's hard to gauge kind of what the right move is but at the same time like you said you are right you don't want to i think it would be better if it was specific because if it wasn't specific then you don't want to give that kind of power to the government and especially in the israeli government which is known to be authoritarian you can actually see them doing it unlike in the u.s where it's less authoritarian well you know that in israel we already have laws uh against certain types of speech on the internet so, for example, this is this is it's it mirrors more the idea of lashon hara, which means literally bad speech. Um, but the idea is that you're not supposed to badmouth people for no reason, right? And so, 
how it comes out in the actual laws as follows. Let's say I eat at a restaurant, right? And I had a terrible time eating at the restaurant. So I go on the internet, I go on Yelp and I say, ah, this, this restaurant, um, Israel food is a terrible restaurant. They botched up the food. The, the weights, the staff was terrible, etc. You can get fined for that because you're, you're speaking badly about an institution. Now I would make the argument and say, you know, hold on a minute. If I'm on a forum for people asking for a recommendation and I say this restaurant's not a good restaurant and I say why it's not a good restaurant, I'm not really saying Lashon Ara. I'm telling people to save their money and not go to that restaurant because it's bad service, you know? And I think that's very useful to people. But at the same time, that's the type of censorship that goes on in Israel. Well, maybe it's not what you're saying. It's how you're saying it. I think that's more like if you're saying, hey, like they had bad service, well, if you're saying like, oh, you know, they have terrible service, like, you know, fuck them and, you know, uh, they're going to like, you know, kill someone one day where you could you can, you know, change it saying like, oh, well, I didn't appreciate their services. I thought it wasn't good. And what they gave you, you know, what you paid for wasn't worth. No, what they gave you wasn't worth the money that I paid for it. Right. Know, it's, so, it's about the wording. I don't think it's about what you're saying. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to look more into it, but I know this is very pertinent when you go to these uh, Israeli food groups on Facebook and you're talking about restaurants. And then if someone says something bad about a restaurant, someone in the comments will go be very careful what you're saying because you can get in trouble for this if they find out, right? If they oh, lose really? money because you're saying this, you you, you can get uh, sued. Um, so, but I think – and. You know, if we want to look at laws that are more relevant to this type of law, just go to England. If you've ever, if you've been paying attention to what goes on in the UK, you'll know, for example, that the police, instead of dealing with crimes such as you know these grooming gangs, uh, they'll go and they'll scour the internet for "quote unquote" hate speech. So, um, if you want to know what Israel will look like if this bill passes, just look to England, and you'll see exactly what it looks like. <laughs> that's uh that's an interesting event I'll, I'll say this i'll say this i think that first of all again it's 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 uh good that it was brought up that uh israel's sort of approach uh is is more about privileges rather than rights it's more european rather than it is american um and i think that you know especially in the american context our, our rights are not divorced from responsibilities and i think that's really how the you know, the founding fathers meant it. So yes, we have free speech and it's largely freer than any other place in the world. But um, with, with a right like that, there, there does come a responsibility to make sure you're using your speech, you know, well, and, and not just in the sense within the bounds of law, but, you know, within, I would say, uh, socially accepted, you know, uh, you know, not good or bad, but like use it well, you know, use it with like purpose. Like you can't yell conviction. fire in a movie theater. Right. You know, right. um, But I'm not. But again, like I'm not against any of what you're saying. My concern is that I'm afraid this is going to go the other way where, you know, if you point out something that if you say something that's not helpful to the government, they'll just say, oh, this is against national security. We're going to censor the speech. So if, you know, even ignoring the vaccines, if you say something that like the two state solution is essentially like ever since Oslo. If you said one state solution in Israel, unless you're like in a little village somewhere where no one can see you, you're considered a hack or this, that. But imagine if now on the internet, you can't even say, hey, Oslo doesn't work because that that gets in the way of uh, national security to say that Oslo is not a good idea. That's just an example, right? So, you know, even even if you're ignoring the coronavirus, right, 
if you want to um, say that Oslo doesn't work, right? The government theoretically could go on Facebook and say, oh, that that that's gets in the way of national security. And you can't say that. Yeah, but I think there's a fine line. I think there's a fine line. Like, like, like the difference between saying, I don't agree with Oslo or saying, even going to say that Oslo is the end of Israel, right? There's, there's a difference between saying that and what I think this bill should actually uh, target, which is literal incitements to violence, you know? And, and I think they, they do make a good point in the sense, like, I think in the article that you shared, there was a, an example brought up of, about a Bedouin woman uh, whose photo was shared to social media without her hijab on. And so her father could be incensed to violence if he sees her without her hijab, right? And, you know, you, it, within three days, that's too long to wait a time before something violent happens. Okay, so that's a good point. Like, like, so something is shared to TikTok. And within hours, you know, streets are flooded. Of course, um, of course. But, like, just to clarify what you meant by three days. Um, so, essentially, right now under this law, there would be, like, a committee. And if you want something taken off the internet, you have to go to the committee. And they take several days to do it. But there was changes to the law suggested by... I believe it's the Israel Democracy Institute, where they said that the law should be much more specific and things that need to be taken off the internet should be done within three hours, like snap decision. That I think would be a much better way to do it because I agree with you that there are, you know, while I, I disagree, like I think that if, let's say, a Muslim father goes and beats or kills her, his daughter because she was seen without the hijab, I think he should be like have the book thrown at him and, you know, be, I don't know. What's the what's the cruelest form of punishment I can imagine? I I, I don't even know. Um, but at the same time, like yeah, I agree that you know we'd rather not have that. Um, and I think part of it. No, so I'm saying all, all, right. All, all I'm saying is that there's a difference between criticizing and even sharply criticizing the Oslo process versus you know literal literal calls to violence, posting posting videos of yourself spitting on Jews, beating them up, you know. And I think the law should reflect should reflect that difference. Of course, I agree, but my issue is that the law doesn't state that, and my and I'm afraid right. that the people in charge are not going to are not sophisticated enough to get that, because as we can see, the Israeli politicians are not very sophisticated. Um, but let's just talk about one more issue, and then we'll go on to the next topic. This is a bill advanced by a member of Knesset named Gidon Sar. Uh, it's very important for people to know who this guy is. Gidon Saar was actually, until very recently, the number two in the Likud party, which is Benjamin Netanyahu's party. In the last election, he broke off to make his own party. I believe it, it's called the New Hope Party. So, you know, Star Wars. But uh, he he actually joined the, the new coalition with Bennett and the left and the Arabs. He joined them so he could be part of the government. And he's putting this bill through. Uh, so just so you understand who Gidon Saar is and... Uh, why it has a better chance to pass this time. Last time it didn't pass because Benjamin Netanyahu just killed the bill, which I think the prime minister just has the ability to do for some reason. Uh, but this time we we don't see that. So unless there's some really principled person over there that's not going to vote for this, you might see you might begin to see the Israeli police have a a free a speech division in there scouring the internet for things that people aren't allowed to say. Which to me is very scary because the Israeli police is already not very freedom oriented. They're not they're not restricted by anything, and so giving them the power over the internet, not my idea of a good time. But uh, we'll see. I don't know. What do you guys think? Um. So like I like you you going back to what you guys mentioned before. I agree. You said um, you said how they have there's a committee and that it will take a few days, 
it's fine because like what's kind of the point because like once it's out there like it, it's it's less than a few days to go viral so like people will be to the streets in like a few hours so like you said they want to change it to a few hours so i do you know agree in that sense that there's kind of no point if it takes a few days but also i i agree with um you luke <clears throat> in addition that the the problem with the bill is that it is too general and when you make things too general what's what's very dangerous about this is you know yeah it is meant for good you know to in you know to stop people from inciting violence but then what's stopping them from you know potentially i'm not saying they will do but potentially you know shutting speech down for for other things um, right which is why i don't think it's very useful in this regard to kind of censor speech i think in certain instances speech censorship might be very useful and even just incorrect but i think if you have a whole sector of society that's interested in in doing this kind of thing i think what's more useful is expanding gun rights and allowing israelis to defend themselves rather than try to police the entire speech of a fifth of your population not 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 justifying arab speech at all like some sometimes arabs say like the the most horrendous things i've ever seen and i think part of it would be if we would curtail some religious rights and say for example oh you can't wear the niqab right because i think uh, for example, when it comes to the niqab, the people who are forced to wear the niqab typically aren't doing it of free will. They're typically forced to by very conservative uh, political forces. Um, and, you know, in general, kind of like restricting Islam more because it seems to be that no one wants to talk about the elephant in the room, which is Islam. Uh, but, you know, if, if, if a fifth of your population is interested in inciting violence, then you need to arm the four fifths of the population that are the victims of that violence. But, uh, you know, no one's going to listen to me because, you know, I'm just a guy on the internet. So <laughs> aren't we all? Yeah, aren't we all at this point? <laughs> We're all just people on the internet. Welcome to the new yeah, age. A- you know, it's, that's what we all are. <laughs> Anyways, um, but speaking of saying things that are not politically correct or not politically, they're, they're damaging to national security. Let's talk about the fourth coronavirus vaccine that uh, Israel just approved of doing. So let's. Let's let's talk about the facts first. Israel for a while has been talking about the fourth vaccine. Um, the old meme that says, "Oh, you know, on the seventh vaccine, you know, I I, I took the seventh vaccine, but I'm against the thirteenth shot." You know that 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 is going <laughs> yeah, to be Israel. And your eye is twitching. <laughs> yeah, no. My favorite, my favorite um, COVID, like the COVID shot meme was you see like the left is trying to take back the narrative. So you see like this Giga Chad guy and he just has like all the, like the logos of all the vaccines and you see he's just like shooting himself up with the vaccine. It's like, yeah, I got all the vaccines, bro. Yeah, I'm a Giga Chad. I got all the vaccines. Um, so that, that was one of my favorite things. You know, Israel really is becoming the meme of uh, 17 shots. And, but the point is, is they've now approved the fourth shot. Um, so they said initially that the fourth shot's going to be for the people who are immunocompromised. Um, as far as agreement on the fourth vaccine, it, it has passed in the sense that the bureaucracy has said they're, they're, they approved the fourth vaccine. But there are a lot more Israeli scientists saying that it's not a good idea to get the fourth vaccine necessarily because it might cause an immune system fatigue which will cause the vaccine to be less effective. So what they're saying essentially is that if you if you keep on getting the same vaccine over and over again, it will actually be bad for you because unlike the first three vaccine uh, unlike the first three shots, 
which are all different, allegedly the third and the fourth shot are just the same shot. It's just the same shot. So there are some Israeli scientists who are saying, hey, is this a good idea? And uh, that's that's the background. Um, so anyways, so that's that's those are the facts you need to know for all of this. I mean, in addition, the the difference between like, for example, uh, the co- I don't are these these aren't the same. Are these the exact same shots in terms of like, is it for a different variant or is it for the same variant? Because I also feel like there's no point of it because, you know, you mentioned it a lot is it's usually for the the last variant. So like, would the fourth vaccine even help because it's not even for um, the Omicron, unless it is. But. No, it's not. It's the same shot as the third one. And from what I understand, the third shot came out at around the Delta time, which is to say that unless the people who make the vaccines are incredibly knowledgeable in how the, vac- the, the virus rather is going to mutate, even the third shot wasn't necessarily for Delta. It was just a booster shot, right? So in my opinion, or at least the way I see it, what's going on is you have uh, these people just coming up with vaccines hoping that just throwing something at the wall hopefully will stick. Um, and we're going to see that, you know, it may not necessarily stick. Already we see that, you know, we were told initially that if you get the vaccine, you're not going to be able to get anyone sick. That's not true. We've seen that if you get the vaccine, they, they told us rather that if you get the vaccine, you can't get sick. Uh, also not true. Allegedly what the vaccine's supposed to do, and I'm not even saying this necessarily to say it's not true, but rather just to say that what it's supposed to is it's supposed to mitigate the the worst symptoms of the virus, which fair enough, I'm not going to argue that point because I think that I, I agree with that, I think, at least from the data that I've seen. But if you get the vaccine and even if you get the third shot, you know, and now especially because we're hearing from scientists, that the Omicron is kind of just like the cold. So I have to wonder what what is the point of all this? Like, who cares if I get the fourth vaccine? Like, it shouldn't matter to anyone. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And um, I think I was actually going to I was going to mention what you said. And, and it's just like the, the, the whole point of the vaccines is it's not going to stop the spread. You know, that's the sort of meme that's going. Let's let's stop the spread. Let's lock down 15 days to stop the spread. Longest 15 days of my yeah. life. <laughs> it's been two um, years. <laughs> yeah, two years. <laughs> so but the point of the point of the vaccine is not we're not going to stop the spread. And, and this is something that's Israeli researchers are sort of finally coming around to this. It's been something that's uh, already well understood in, in the U.S. through Jay Bhattacharya. He's from Stanford University. Um, and it was certainly, I think, known, uh, who knew it the best? The Swiss from the beginning uh, understood this concept well. You're not going to stop the spread. All you can do is mitigate symptoms. And we're doing it pretty well. We're doing it really, really well. Yeah, all things think, considered. All things considered. You know, uh, hospitalizations are... You know, nowhere near the levels they, they used to be. And um, by the way, just to remind people, um, wasn't the point of the lockdowns not even to save lives, but just to make sure that the hospital systems weren't overwhelmed? Wasn't that the entire point? So if if we're not even getting that sick, right, then who cares how many people get sick? Like it shouldn't matter. I don't know, but I mean, I mean, I don't know. The math does add up. Doesn't fifteen days equal two years? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe like woke math, maybe like in the same like universe where two plus two equals five, 15 days equals two years. Who, right. who knows? Right. <laughs> yeah, we're just uh, how many hours? You need, you need to account for the uh, implicit racism in mathematics and that's how you stretch. <laughs> oh, you know, what it, you know what it is? You know what it is? Um, Bide inflation. 
the the value of fifteen days has gone up to two years. <laughs> <laughs> you can right. get more. Exactly. With, you could get more hours yeah. with fifteen days under bad inflation. It's not even that. It's like you wanted to order an oven. It's not going to come here in fifteen days. It's going to take two years. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, yeah. Uh, so we spoke about the dangers of over-vaccination, at least according to some Israeli scientists. But let's talk about Gadi Yevarkan again. He, I think he's become my favorite politician. Um, he's he's in the Likud party, you know, in case no one heard, you know, that before on the show. And he's becoming the only politician I think I won't banish to St. Helena when this is all over. When, 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 I, when I've become the supreme dictator of Israel – and I sentence all the politicians who were responsible for all of this to death by trial or whatever. He's going to get like a seat next to me where he can watch and be very comfortable because he's the only one that's talking some sense at the at the Knesset level as far as I've seen. And I don't know how good your Hebrew is, uh, Josh, but my Hebrew – I'm fluent. Oh, you're yeah. fluent. Okay. So you watch yeah. the video. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I would play the video, but it's in Hebrew. So it's kind of like, what's the point? But basically, tell me if I'm correct. And the, the idea was that he wasn't talking about from a freedom perspective, like it's always wrong to shut down, you know, malls or whatever. He was saying more that this vaccine doesn't do what, you know, people want it to do. And based on the symptoms of the virus, the, 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 the rates of um, infection and you know serious hospitalization and obviously death. You know the the measures we're taking against COVID are not um, are not proportional to what you know this would call for, which is to say maybe kind of isolate the more vulnerable and then allow everyone to go back to living. You know, as someone who is a history major, I know a lot of people who took history classes so that they could go into tourism. And when I came back to Israel, everyone I know who is in tourism is not in tourism anymore because there's no tourism industry because of COVID. And so I look at that and go, well, you just shut down most of the Israeli economy because most of the Israeli economy is people coming, doing tourism, buying stuff, bringing money into the Israeli economy. And then you have a big industry of, oh, that rock over there, there was a big argument over there over whose God was mightier at that rock. And so now we have a Jewish holiday that commemorates that called <laughs> So, <laughs> but that's a lot of Israeli tourism. So you know, now that now that we've destroyed tourism with coronavirus, um, I have to wonder if this is in any way proportional to you know the virus at hand. And you know, well, you know what what Gadi was doing is, in my estimation, was it was a pretty simple cost benefit analysis, right? And it, it's something that. Again, it's, it's, uh, I'm a stan of uh, Jay Bhattaria at Stanford. It's something he's been saying for a long time. It's like, okay, so these vaccines, they're not stopping the spread. They weren't designed to stop the spread. Uh, we're locking people down. And, and these lockdowns are, are just having like these insane deleterious effects that no one's really talking about. Uh, depression, suicide rates are up. That was the number two killer in the United States. I think right behind uh, fentanyl overdosing. Where we're we're talking about early childhood development being completely you know tanked and certainly tourism in Israel. I mean, like the, it's it's such a major industry because it's the center point for uh, so many people of, of various religious backgrounds. Um, and well, I mean, I just to approach, just to cut right. you off for a second, I mean, think about all the kids that kind of grew up with the two years of COVID, and now they think it's normal that everyone wears a mask and you can't see anyone's facial expressions anymore. 
that's bound to have some negative impacts on people. I'm sure there's going to be some sociopaths who just can't read faces anymore. Two years, two years is a long time for, especially for a kid. <laughs> yeah, there there are two year olds who grew up because you know you don't really remember anything from like the first two three years of your life. So imagine like now they're four or five and they're just starting to become cognizant of what's going on around them. They think that it's normal to walk around with masks. Like that's crazy. Like who, who like. Yeah, like I don't know. It's just there, there's a part of me that's just like, if only for the like. I know it's such a it's such a like cliche. Will anyone think about the children? You know, <laughs> but now it's like normal to like cover our children's faces with masks all the time and just shoot them up with a vaccine for a virus that they're not going to get because it doesn't affect children, at least not to the same degree that it affects you know older people. And so I look at that, right? And, yeah. and I, you know, I think I think the the the, the funny thing is like. The, the sort of meme of Israel is that it's this super scientific high tech state, right? We're sort of, expo- you know, we're exporting our science to the rest of the world. Um, and yet, you know, Gadi's bringing up a very, very sound, you know, basic argument. And for, for one reason or another, it's just this, this worldview, this, it just won't be accepted. Yeah. You, know, you can look at the, you can look at the numbers, you can look at the effects it's having. And this is, this is all very public knowledge, you know? Um, people in Israel losing their businesses left and right. You know, the, the stipends that they got from the government was was pennies to the dollar. You know, I grew up to the Shkelin. It, it, it was nothing. Yeah, I mean, unlike in the United States where they can afford to print money because the whole like oil industry is based on the petrodollar, the Israelis just can't print money if they don't want hyperinflation. Like even like you're seeing this in the most powerful country in the world where just they're printing money and they're they're shooting themselves in the foot. I remember before coronavirus if like my parents sent me $100, you know, for whatever it is, I would it would get like 3.8 shekels to the dollar. Now it's almost 3 shekels to the dollar. Like it's crazy. Like the the level of inflation. The dollar is ruined and Israel can't even afford to do that. So if like let's say you get unemployed because they shut down the economy, that's it. You're not getting anything from Bituach Lumi, which is a giant – it's Israeli social security. But the thing you need to understand about Israeli social security is unlike American social security where you only pay if you're working, Israeli social security, you owe them $60 every month. Even if you live in a box in the middle of the road, you owe them $60 a month, uh, which is like approximately 200-something shekel. No wonder people are still homeless. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, you, you live in a box and you have to pay Arnona on that. <laughs> um, that drives me bananas. Um, but I think property tax on my box. What? Yeah, no, I'm gonna have to downsize to like a, an Amazon parcel because uh, I can't afford the taxes on this refrigerator box. <laughs> 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 but I think Gadi Avarkan's strategy. I think it it may not tug at the heartstrings in the same way that like a a passionate you know argument from Liberty would. But I think that's the argument you need to make when you're talking about. It's a practical argument. It's a it's a practical. Right, because I think I think in the grand scheme of things, I think everyone would agree that if the Black Plague were to were to come back, right, I think everyone would agree to stay home. If like thirty three percent of the population were dying, I think everyone would agree. Like, okay, maybe like I I'll stay indoors, like even if it affects my children, because I don't want them like developing black spots and just like dying, you know. Um, but COVID is just not that. It's a lot of old people are getting sick, and then they're dying because as old people are wont to do, and. Uh, and then you got a, a lot of people who lose their sense of taste for a bit. And then you go back to life. And I think a lot of people are saying like, hey, listen, you know, I got COVID and it was unfortunate, but, you know, I lived through it and I, I kind of just want to see my friends now and I kind of want to go to the mall and I don't want to have to papers please all the time, you know. <laughs> um, 
that that's what I think is going to work over time, especially, you know, I was talking to one of my neighbors and he got the first two vaccines. This is an older man already, older gentleman. And uh, he, he got the first two shots and he didn't even get the third shot, right? So imagine, you know, as more people develop that attitude where it's like, okay, how many shots do I need to take now, right? There's always going to be like that section of the population where no matter how many shots you tell them to take, they'll take it, right? But I think a lot of Israelis are more discerning than that. And I think as you ask them to take more vaccines, they're going to start saying no. Eventually, everything's going to have to open up because you can't run an economy if only 10% of the people are getting the vaccines necessary to participate in in it. You know, so you're going to see uh, a lot of malls are going to say, hey, I don't know about the rules, whatever, but I can't afford to run on 10% of the population. So I'm just going to open up anyways, you know, and, and the rules be damned. I don't know. Now it's not even shutting down. Now it's, it's you know, the step further. It's like, we're not going to shut down now, but now everyone needs to get the vaccine and stuff, which might not even work. Well, I think, I don't think everyone getting the vaccine is going to work in Israel because you, you already, ha- you still have a lot, like, the what I remember when Naftali Bennett was talking about, uh, you know, the percentages of the people who got the vaccine. I think it was like sixty something percent. Now it's like only fifty percent of people are fully vaccinated, right? Is that because they did they change the definition of what it means to be fully vaccinated? Yeah, or? that's because yeah, because you have a bunch of people who who got the first two vaccines, and you got a bunch of people who only got the first one. By the way, they got the first vaccine, they got the second vaccine. That was fully vaccinated for a while, and then the third shot, but. You know, the third shot didn't happen until after he made the speech. So in between that time, there are less people who were down to get the third shot. So then you have to wonder, okay, how many people got the third shot? And now they're going to hear the thing where the fourth shot is really the same as the third shot. And so they'll be like, yeah, you know, I don't really want to get that thing. Um, And then there's going to be people who are like, okay, I'm done with the fourth shot. I'm not getting the fifth shot now. And as more people say, like, (laughs) I'm not getting the 27th shot, you know, the Israeli government will have to open up at some point because you can't. If Israelis are not cooperating with it, what are you going to do? Go to every door and, and put a gun to their head and say, get vaccinated or else? That's a really nice uh, social life you got there. It'd be a shame if anything happened to it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we laugh about it now. <laughs> well, well, I next, next thing you know, someone's come knocking on your door. <laughs> Yeah. But I actually, and, and this is a big announcement, uh, so I'm probably going to get the vaccine. And, uh, but I already, I already put. Can we say Mazatov or? No, you, or you say Baruch Dayana Emet. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, no, nah, I, I, listen, uh, the truth is, is that I, I look at the situation and I go, okay, well, I want to be free. But on the other hand, I want to continue living in Israel. And so I decided, okay, so I'm going to give it one more shot. And the shot is as follows um, I'm going to get the vaccine. I'm going to live like a normal human, you know, for however long it is. And then I'm going to see what's going on when my rent is up. And if I think it's going to change, I'm going to stay in Israel. And if not, I'm going to have to pack my bags and go home, uh, not home, but to the United States, because I don't want to get 27 shots to live in Israel. Like to me, it's not worth it, you know, and I don't think that's a fair thing to ask of me. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Hopefully it will change. Hopefully I can continue living here. If not, uh, you know, the show will be, you know, done in Florida. Well, the land, <laughs> land of the free, home of the brave, uh, yeah. whatever. What's what's their saying? Do they have a quote? Florida man. Yeah. Florida man does X. <laughs> Florida man does X. Yes, that is yeah. that is the national uh, saying of Florida. Florida man does X. You're, you, this show this show this the show is uh, going to be you know you're going to start calling me Florida man and you'll be like Florida man talks politics. 
Florida man says ABC. Absolutely based. Um, all right. So hopefully this topic is going to – you guys are going to have a little more to add. Uh, not that you guys didn't have what to add beforehand, but uh, I think that this is a topic that is very cultural. And because we're all in that circle, I think we can all kind of talk about it with a certain level of authority. Um, let's talk about woke orthodoxy. You know, you, before you have ultra orthodox and you have modern orthodox, and now you have woke orthodox. So let's talk about it. What does it mean to be woke? All right. So, uh, Josh, do you want to go over that? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think. Uh... Woke has been a term that's existed for, for, for quite a while. I mean, I think like the, the, the origin of the term was, if I'm not wrong, it was started by the left. You're just sort of awake to the inequities and, you know, the ever-present racism that exists in every single facet of our societies. And you're, you're actively looking to uncover uh, that racism wherever. And it's not wherever. It definitely exists. You're just looking to uncover the racism. That's, uh, that's so the idea, essentially, is, that it exists. You just need to find it. Right, right, and and so so, woke is. So they just I think replace this... the A with the O. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, you just you're taking on this you know this stupid responsibility of finding and or inputting racism and whatever other discriminatory word you want to throw in there in every single facet of life. Right. So you, we covered the first part, which James Lindsay very like very puts it very well in his book, Cynical Theories, um, which I think is a very important thing to note. The difference between fighting racism and being woke is that when you're fighting racism, you'll see something that maybe is racist and you'll point it out, right? So if you see an interaction between two people and you're just looking for racism, you might find racism, you might not find racism. But if you're woke, the assumption is that it is racist and now you just need to parse and find out how it's racist. What also is a key function of being woke is that you there's there's oppression olympics right it's a you know kind of this generic it's this kind of like overused term but it's overused because it 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 talks about a very real phenomenon which is that you know you could be a white man but if you're a black man you're more oppressed than the white man and if you're a black gay man you're more impressed than the black man and if you're a black uh a gay woman then you're more oppressed than the black gay man and so on and so forth until you're literally just a guy in a wheelchair who's the wrong skin color and uh, you know everything's just wrong with you. You're just more marginalized because of all these things. And there's a hierarchy, right? So – and what that means in practicality is that if you're a white man, you, you automatically in your interactions, you are racist against a black man. But a black man is oppressive towards a black woman, right? That's an important part of wokeness. So – Yeah. Right. That's an important right. part of wokeness. I guess if you had to boil down wokeness to like a, a single definition, it would be the the looking the the view of society that is looked at through the lenses of critical cultural Marxism, right? So it's not just it's not just your regular Marxist who's looking, you know, to redistribute the means of production. It's more about how you look at society and the way different groups interact with each other, and you're looking through a kind of Marxist interpretation. Uh, so that's what it really means to be woke. And so, so now that we understand that, right? Why does wokeness directly conflict with orthodox belief and practice? This is a very important question because there are people who have tried to introduce wokeness into the orthodox lexicon, 
Orthodox Judaism specifically. I know that we probably have someone who's like, oh, he's speaking about Orthodox Christianity, but uh, no, we are not. We're talking about Orthodox Judaism. And we're going to just use the term Orthodox as a catch-all for very traditional Judaism. I know there's like people don't like the word Orthodox sometimes, but we're just going to use it as a catch-all and people will have to understand. But the thing about wokeness is that what it's predicated also on this belief of postmodernism, that you can't know things for a fact. That you know everything is about subjective experiences, but Orthodox Judaism was actually, or, or Judaism more broadly, was the first religion in the world to make substantive, objective, quote unquote, claims about the universe. That there's one God, and His name is uh, ineffable, but uh, He's one God, and He made rules, and you have to follow them, and it's based on reality. Right? There's no there's no subjectivity. It's not polytheistic where you can believe in different gods and everyone has the god that they respect and you all just tolerate each other. It's very intolerant in that way and it, and it sets a standard. But the thing about postmodernism is that it doesn't set a standard. It's the opposite. Right? It sets an anti-standard. It, the only standard is that you can't have a standard. Right? So that's right, right, hundred uh, percent. And the other thing I would uh, I would attach onto it is is it's actually like woke and and the people who are of this persuasion. Um, because it's already an a priori accepted truth that everyone and everything is racist, there's no concept of redemption, meaning you are eternally stained. And I, I think Judaism very much comes, comes hard against this claim. There, there's, you know, it's a thought, the thought that I had that it is actually somewhat the uh, sort of the Christian character of the U.S., which is allowed an ideology like this to spread so quickly. And it's because of this concept of uh, the eternality of, of sin, the, the fundamental, fundamental eternal concept of sin that man is original forever. sin, like where original sin, right? Right, right. Where Adam eats from the tree of knowledge between good and evil, that was the original sin, and then you know humanity is forever uh, tainted by that. Um, right, and so like, I, I can see, I, I like this is my own personal. I, I see some some parallels, which which not that they're the same, of course, but it's it's why it's allowed the meme of woke to spread so quickly, and Judaism just doesn't have that. You I know? so I would actually disagree. Um, I think that I think in terms of you make a good point that it's very similar in Christian to to Christianity in that in form almost. I I view because. It's very important to understand that America is a Christian nation, right? So any movement that's designed to take down the United States, that's designed to be this anti-American movement, has to be anti-Christian. And so you're- no, no, right. I, I just I want to clarify. I'm not saying that. I, first of all, well, I I disagree that America is a Christian nation. I think we can have an interesting back and forth on that. But um, my point is to say that woke is for sure anti-Christian, you know, in its theological beliefs, you know, that that and then those people are of two opposite ideological interests. But I'm just saying, just, just like how wokeness co-ops Marxist, uh, Marxist analysis for viewing racism and gender and, and all this stuff, uh, it so also plays on, on the Christian conception of, of sin. Right, because it... Okay, so I was reading up on the cult of Baal, as you do when you have nothing else to do. You look- <laughs> as one does. As, as one does. As one does. And it, I've come to the conclusion that more so than any other like belief system or anything else, the cult of Baal is anti-Judaism. It's like the anti-Judaism. Not anti-Judaism in the sense that it's against Wait, Judaism. what's the cult of Baal? You know, Baal, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Baal the, the rain god, the, god of, the Canaanite god of fertility. The okay. one, you know, the one where Elijah. You brought, don't know about that. You don't know about that, Rody. Come on, man! It's, it's in the Bible. <laughs> Elijah slaughtered four hundred of their prophets. 
man. <laughs> Absolutely based. Anyways, um, so I've come to the conclusion that the cult of Baal is the anti-Judaism, that it's like if you wanted to create like an evil doppelganger of Judaism, that's the exact like opposite of Judaism, it would be the cult of Baal. So similarly, the cult of woke is the anti-Christianity because it was formed in opposition to Christianity in America more broadly in the West. And the West was formed by Christianity, which, you know, is, is, is related to Judaism, but it's not exactly the same, right? And I think we can all agree on that regardless of your opinions on Christianity. Uh, Christianity is related to Judaism, but it's also related to Greek uh, philosophy and then it has its own stuff in there as well. But the cult of wokeness is an anti-Christianity, and as a result, you're very astute to point out that it 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 mirrors the the concept of the quote unquote original sin. In Christianity, you have the original sin of eating from the the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and in wokeism, you have the sin of being born a white person. But unlike in well, Christ- not oh, because we're talking about racism specifically. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, and then there's also like you're a man, so you're you're not you're a misogynist. You're you're not a, like you need to be feminist. You can't be a misogynist. Uh, and then there's like homo- anti homosexuality, homophobia, trans transphobia, all the buzzwords. Um, but essentially, the sin is that you're born into a group with privilege. Uh, privilege being the word for sin here. And you know, but unlike in Christianity, where there is a path forward, even in wokeism, you can adopt those uh, belief systems, you can say, oh, I'm a white man and I agree that XYZ group is discriminated against, but there's no path to redemption for you. So that's very important to understand. Um, Like I'm not a Christian and I can't tell Christians to be Christian because I'm not really interested in doing that. What I will say is that if I had to choose between living under a dictatorship run by the cult of Jesus or a dictatorship run by the cult of woke, I'll pick the Jesus guys any day. Like, you know, they're at least based I mean, in reality. We already did go through that and it's called the crusades and, um, you know, they would torture and kill us. So, Oh, I agree. I recognize that. But the Catholics, by the way, were not even the worst offenders of the Christians. The, the worst offenders in terms of anti-Semitism were the Eastern Orthodox. And I know this because I've, I've done some, you know, cursory readings and it turns out that pretty much every interaction with as you do on your free time yeah well listen i'm a a man who i'm a man who enjoys history um it turns out that a lot of the smears against catholicism regarding anti-semitism they're very overblown granted there were anti-semitic catholics i'm not saying that that wasn't the case but a lot of the popes were actually pretty pro-jewish and they did protect their jewish subjects uh in the first crusade um i think it was I forget which Pope Innocent said this, but the Pope Innocent at the time said, "Like, hey, you know, you're going to co- conquer the promised land for the Muslims. Don't talk. Don't look. Don't don't attack the Jews." They did it anyways. But I'm, um, you know, the the Catholics were not as bad as we like to paint them in the woke world. The Eastern Orthodox were the worst offenders. They they sent the Cossacks. There was pretty much I can't think of a single interaction between the Eastern Orthodox Church, churches more broadly, and Judaism that were positive in any way. Um, but even them, I'd still rather live in a world where I can be, um, assaulted by Cossacks than be assaulted in a world run by the woke. Like just, you know, just as a personal, and I say this as a person whose family, like half of my family comes from the Soviet Union. So we know all about Cossacks, you know, so. Right. That was, about, I was just about to say, uh, it's not like we, we don't, we don't know, uh, how, how woke plays out in real life. I mean, we, we, we. <laughs> You can look at, I, I can tell you that some of the other mods for Lesm, actually, I think all of them, except for one, 
uh, family comes from the former Soviet Union. They're FSU Jews. And I mean, the, the plague that communism played on their lives, it wasn't just like Nazism, which was sort of very much about just physically destroying us. I mean, the effects of communism had, had multi-generational effects on Jews, whereas not only did they kill a bunch of Jews, but like they diminished their spirit down to its, its smallest grain. I mean, you have generations and generations of Jews who couldn't fathom being religious. And, and it's all because of this ideology, which was just like force fed into the throats of, of, you know, hundreds of thousands of Jews and woke, woke, it, it, it will function like that without a doubt. Exactly. It's, it's this, yeah. Exactly. You're going to see um, a lot of these Jewish kids, they're going to grow up with these two conflicting ideologies, woke and orthodox, and they're going to have to make a choice. Um, now, well, it's not even, I'm sorry. It's, 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 the funny thing is, is I don't even think it'll be presented as a choice. What's going to happen is it's going to present itself as a form of Judaism. And it's something we see, right? Like tukun olamism, right? I mean, that, that I think is an insert of wokeism, which is coming to say, no, I'm actually Jewish and you should like, it's sort of like how, how early Christianity came to the Jews where they still come to the Jews this way. We are actually Judaism. You know, you should, you should join, join, a join our band. Right, but um, right. So that's that's actually like parallels in in that way. Early Christianity, because early Christians actually many times they would go to synagogues with the Pharisees. Right. It wasn't until much later that they made their own. They did their own thing. Um, but early Christians, they, the earliest of them, they would go to synagogue with the Pharisees and they would do Pharisee things, and they just believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and that's how they kind of did that. Um, you know, and uh, that's that. Um. But what you really want to get into is that these guys are making this parallel religion where we're saying, like, how many Jews do you know that make the arguments like, well, when the Bible says it's anti-homosexuality, what it really is, it's not really anti-gay marriage. It's really this. It's really that. You don't you don't understand. You, your stupid yeah. lizard brain thinks that when it says uh, man should not sleep with a man, it's an abomination. It really means that man should sleep with another man. Um, you're just too stupid I mean, to understand they it. They bring up the argument of, uh, of David and um, – Oh, and, God. I hate this one. Jonathan. Yeah. And Jonathan, yeah. Yeah, but that – that's just because the the truth is they just don't understand bromance. Because <laughs> no, they, yeah, no, they can't understand that you can love another guy and just not be gay. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, have they never heard awesome. of a mandate where a man takes another man out on a date on a date and it's heterosexual like that? There is a concept called a mandate to brunch and specifically, yeah, exactly. Like there's a, there's nothing wrong with bromance. Like I think women took over the concept should- of. We should promote uh, mandates and not mandates. Exactly. I love mandates. Um, <laughs> exactly. Good one. Good one. But, <laughs> but especially nowadays, you have this concept where like only women can be like intimate with each other without being sexual. Like, have you ever seen like girls' pictures where they're all kind of like scrunched up together and they're all like you're giving each other kisses and you know they're so close to each other that you're afraid they're going to merge into one large fat woman, <laughs> right? And uh, for men, it's just like. Get away from me, bro. I don't want other people thinking I'm gay, you know? <laughs> but um, going back to what you were saying, um, you're saying that woke is is attacking the culture and ideology, and you think it's that's more dangerous than than attacking the physical like people. And this is something I want to bring up because <clears throat> when I was younger, um, a teacher of mine, he brought this up. He says that, the enemies don't realize this 
and I can't believe I'm giving my enemies advice right now, but the best way to get rid of Jews is by leaving them alone, okay? Because if you leave them alone, they will assimilate or they will, I don't know, get influenced by wokeism, as you guys are saying. Or, And he says that it's kind of good that these things happen to us because, you know, every time something bad has happened to Jewish people, it's always been times where, like, Jews have, like, are on the cusp of, like, assimilating fully and, like, not being Jewish anymore. And that kind of brings us back to, to Judaism. Right. I believe it's a Sun. I, th- I think it was Sun Tzu that said this. In I think it was the the art of what was it? What is this book called? The Art of War. Indeed. Uh, I don't know. Well, I, yeah, yeah, it's the Art of War. The Art of War. Yeah, the Art of War. I believe he says this. Correct me if I'm wrong. He says never interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake, and that's kind of like what you know, Rhodey said. Like if you want to get rid of the Jews, just let them make mistakes. Um, but it's true. No, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. There was a covenant with Abraham where God said he's, you know, he's going to take care of us. But uh, if we're bad, he's going to take care of us. You know, <laughs> um, he's going to take. Yeah, that's uh, the, the thing. But let's discuss besides for the gay marriage thing. Let's talk about other aspects of wokeism that have um, gone into the Orthodox world, um, because we, I think in my opinion, we have strayed a bit too far in the discussion from strictly wokeism. So I want to refocus the discussion. So let's talk about, you know, some of the things we see in Orthodoxy. Um, so for example, I see a lot of Orthodox Jews not being very strict on, you know, kind of towing the line when it comes to conversions. They'll, I don't want to say they respect it, but I think, You'll have a lot of people that will will include, let's say, reform converse, conversion Jews in the broader uh, Jewish society, whereas we should really be towing the line and saying like, hey, this is unacceptable that they're converting this way, right? Um, you got a lot of people like that. You got a lot of people, of course, that are banging on about the different social issues. Um, of course, communism is a big one. A lot of Orthodox teenagers don't know how bad communism is. Um, I saw this even in high school. Like... It wasn't even necessarily called woke back, you know, long ago when I was in high school, but you had a lot of people who were who were pro-gay marriage, which is against orthodox belief and practice. You've got a bunch of people who are um, for more liberal social policies, much more critical of Israel in terms of its handling of the conflict. And then, of course, you have guys like Rav Shigar, who literally introduced postmodernism into Jewish thought, right? And then you've got guys like Yehuda Cohen, Rudy Rockman, who are using woke just to bring this all back. Because the rule is, is that when we have LEZM on, we have to somehow bash <laughs> Rudy Rockman and, uh, you know, Yehuda Cohen and their ilk. We have to bash them. <laughs> I, I, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be a, a concrete rule, but we, I think we always somehow come back to those topics. You know, always come back to those characters. Well, I mean, it's a very uh, cultural issue. And one of the things right. that I bring you on to talk about is these kind of Jewish cultural issues, because I think people are very concerned about wokeism in the broad. But, you know, I think it's very interesting to talk about how wokeism is affecting our community. Right. Right. So I, I just want to say that I think, first of all, that I actually don't I don't see it creeping into the Jewish Orthodox community as, as much as, as you might perhaps in, in the way you're describing certain things. Um, like, like for the most part, and I mean, you can look at voting patterns among uh, Orthodox Jews. I mean, overwhelmingly conservative, right? Like overwhelmingly. Two to one. Uh, like, the last time I saw the statistics, two to one. You're right. 
Right. So um, it's that, that's it's sort of fascinating to look at. I, I think um, where the real danger lies, and it's because first of all, we have this concept in in, in Judaism that we we're all responsible for each other, right? Like we have Jews Jews who are you know brothers and sisters. They're not religious, but they indeed are still our brothers and sisters, and we have to be responsible for each other and look after them. And I think um, what wokeism does is it, it sort of warps. Uh, any potential they have in coming back into the fold of our community and it, it keeps them away. Uh, so like, for example, like, like with the example that Rody brought up of David and Jonathan, right? Like they, in, in reading, reading the Torah that way that they were actually gay. Right. And so therefore the Torah is sanctioning, you know, homosexual relations, even though it explicitly does not. Um, this, this is, this is a way for them to take Judaism and use it as a tool of justification for whatever political, agendas they have and it keeps them uh this ideology keeps them from coming back to the fold of the community right you know so that's that's where i really think the 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 inherent danger lies right but in the in the piece that i you know i brought to our attention um the thing about it, it the thing about it that bothered me was not so much the the pointing out of the of the situation which is that orthodox teenagers are becoming more woke that was the the point of this article we saw and i'm going to read a little bit of it just so that you get an idea of what's going on um, but more that bothered me was the prescription of the like the, the the cure right which is not that you know the jewish establishment or specifically the orthodox establishment i use that again that term very broadly to include a lot of things that maybe other people wouldn't but the orthodox establishment more broadly should recognize the problem of wokeism and try to combat it um, instead they're saying oh just you know be more woke so the youth don't go away from religion. But part of it, in my opinion, part of the religion is being traditional in mindset. There's a traditional – there's and not like a specific traditional mindset, but there has to be a broad traditional-minded mindset that has to be more than just the, the, the currents of the, you know, of the day of the politics. And um, we're not – Of course. We, we encourage, we encourage a, a continuous link of, of a handing of tradition, right? I mean it's in the prayer that we say Shema every day. The fathers are supposed to teach their sons, you know, to put the – put a mezuzot on your doors and late fill in, right? Like this is all, this is all, it's part of a link of a tradition. It's, it's very much part of Judaism, right? Right. But instead of, and I'm going to just read this part so that you understand, so that the audience understands what's going on here. Um, so basically this woman, Miriam Shaviv, and this is the article's called Wake Up Orthodox Teenagers Are Now Quote Unquote Woke. Uh, shuls, namely um, synagogues and other institutions, have to find ways to accept a different generational outlook. First of all, what 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 scares me is that this woman um, says that her teenage son accused her of racism. Now, now this is like a common theme. You'll see, like the kids. Not, not this woman. I think another woman. Oh, oh yeah, it was another woman. Um, and so she was th- saying that she was speaking with someone. Who yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, my apologies. That was. Yeah, I should have. Um, I should have known this. Um, but it really doesn't matter because this woman seems to endorse uh, the woke stuff anyway. So it's a distinction without a difference. Um, so first of all, you see, like right off the bat, the woke teenage son is disrespecting his mom. Which I'm not saying like I'm the best son, like the son of the year, like far from it. But like I would never call my mom a racist. Like just you know. <laughs> I've never. I don't think I've ever called my mom a racist, even when I was a teenager. Um, oh no, I don't think so. If I did, I'll have to apologize. But I don't think I ever called my mom a racist. But it wasn't because you know the mom said like uh, Heil Hitler or something. It's because she wasn't sufficiently woke, 
And so you see the like the one of the woke one of the like the hallmarks of woke is that the kids know more than the parents. It's kind of like all those teenage movies where where the parents want to destroy the forest and that the kids know better than to destroy nature, kind of like that. But it's it's a real thing. And um, so that's how the story starts. And then she's talking about, you know, how like this change is going on, that they're watching a lot of television. Um, So let's I just there's one paragraph I wanted to read. It starts with awareness. Shul authorities need to internalize that woke values are not something that other people believe in. It's something that many of their members' kids believe in, too, to differing extents, even though this might be going unnoticed in the in the chaos of the corona situation. Second, we must not pit our community institutions against these teens. This is a real risk, given that they are usually run by a much older generation, which often has little sympathy for Gen Z's values. Similarly, while many of our rabbis are astute about trends in the community and sensitive to congregant sensibilities, others come from backgrounds that will make it difficult for them to accept these points of view with understanding and compassion. So um, isn't that the problem? Aren't we supposed to respect our elders? And if our elders are saying, don't be woke, we should at least take, like, I'm not saying just because an elder said it, therefore you have to do it. Like, I'm not nearly that, like, authoritarian. But, you know, there is some value in if if the elders who have been around for a little longer, if they tell you, hey, that's woke nonsense, don't believe in it. Shouldn't we be encouraging our kids to have a little humility and to, you know, kind of not believe in wokeism since it's causing them to be, like, anti-author- like anti-authority, not authoritarianism, but anti-authority in this way? Well, you don't have to accept everything they say, but there, like you said, there is some value. They've been around, you know, for a long time. So they have some, you know, life experience and they do have like a sense of, I guess, morals that they can, you know, give you and it it can be beneficial to listen to to some of them. Right. So which is why I would never make the argument that the synagogue, that the leadership is attuned to these things. I would actually make the argument that the leadership typically doesn't know what's going on. That they typically they don't know what wokeism is or they 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 don't know how to go against it or even worse, they agree with it. Right. I've seen all three in my life. Right. And I think that this is one of the problems I have with a lot of these rabbis is these rabbis think that if they stick their head in the Talmud, you know, they're somehow going to reach kids. But the Talmud is I I love the Talmud. Right. But the Talmud is not the end all be all. You have to know what's going on if you want to, especially with modern orthodoxy, because the whole premise of modern orthodoxy is that you have to interact with the world. You know, you have to interact with modernity. But if you can't differentiate between modern values that are good and modern values that are bad, what business do you have interacting with the modern world? You can't do that. Well, I think I think the, the I would say the classic uh, Orthodox take on this is that the world has always been in flux since since the beginning of time. Certainly, since you know the existence of the Jewish people, and um, we we've always been very insular for for various reasons, and 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 that's uh, again that's happened with the flux of of how politics have changed. So woke, communism, Nazism, whatever, like, like the fact is like, there's just a segment of, of religious Jewry that, that wants to remain insular and, and they see, you know, not, not without, not without proof that their model works in some sense, because, because traditional Judaism has existed for thousands of years. Um, and, and they very much believe that their, their actions will, will continue uh, to, to push its existence for the next thousand years to come, you know? Right. But I think that when people talk about the insularity of the Jewish community, what they don't realize is that oftentimes we were either insular or worldly more based on the the circumstances rather than our own philosophies. Mm -hmm. That's true. Right. So for example, throughout the 
throughout the exile up until like the 1800s, the reason we were insular is because that's how religious minorities were all around the world. Because typically up until the emancipation in Western Europe, religious communities were given a lot of internal freedom by the by the local authorities, which is to say that, you know, if you ever heard, if you've ever looked into the Jewish history, you'll see that a lot of times Jewish courts had the right to do corporal punishment. They were responsible for the, for the canon, for proper belief and practice. Um, just as, you know, a lot of different other religious groups throughout the world were given their own autonomy because they didn't, the Catholics didn't really want to deal with internal Jewish issues and nor did the Muslims. So they would, they would have like the leader of the Jews who would respond to the, the, the higher authority in land. And then he would be in charge of making sure that the Jews were in line and he would have political power over the Jews in a way that wouldn't exist. And it was through emancipation in Europe that that kind of changed, that everyone became a citizen and everyone was responsible to the government. But before that happened in the Roman Empire, Jews were much more worldly. They would go all over the planet and they would talk about the values of, you know, the Holy One, blessed be he, there were a lot of people in the Roman Empire who believed in Judaism, but were not necessarily Jewish, right? And that was because <clears throat> they were allowed to be more worldly. <clears throat> I'm sorry, my apologies. They were allowed to be very worldly, and they were allowed to proselytize, quote unquote. Um, but you know, when that didn't happen in Europe, it wasn't because there was a lack of desire to do so. It was more just because that's the real that was the realities on the ground. So I think that's very important. But you know, nowadays we live in this very open era where Jews can be worldly. But it's very. I think I don't think we've ever seen that because the minute the minute Jews became worldly, there were only two things. The first time Jews became worldly, then there was a Holocaust. And the second time Jews became worldly, it was at a time when values were very good. Rav Soloveitchik created Yeshiva University, which is essentially modern orthodoxy. After world, like around the time of World War II, Americans had good values back then. But I don't think YU is ready to grapple with the fact that maybe our values and, you know, kind of woke values are two different things. Yeah, I think of YU, by the way, and and – the fact that you said that it's only going to help bolster those who are sort of very pro insularity. Um, that the YU is this sort of model of modern orthodoxy. There, there were there were student petitions brought to YU to condemn, you know, institutional racism within the Jewish community, right? And and so the insularists are going to look at that and they're going to say, oh well, you see, you you open it up even an inch, and you open the floodgates, you know. Um, I'm not. I'm not of this opinion. I'm not of this opinion. By the way, I do think that that a Jew should be able to contend both with tradition and and the modern world. You know, um, but we we we're we're lacking on on strengthening our Judaism. We're we're lacking in, in strengthening that part of our Jewish identity and and only trying to contend with the modern world. Well, I think we need to more just have a defined line of like where the problem is. We did. Like, no, the problem, it's good that we are in, I guess, in the modern world, but it's like, we never drew a line of like, you know, when does that stop? Right. So you'll see a lot, like, I've seen a lot of people from YU who, who they're in YU and maybe they learn in the Beit Midrash or maybe they don't, whatever, but then they'll go and say, oh, we need to have uh, a a gay straight alliance at Yeshiva University. What the hell do you need a gay straight alliance at Yeshiva University for? Gays know exactly the orthodox position on Judaism. Any gay who goes to Yeshiva University is going there in spite of the fact that Orthodox Judaism says um, no gay sex, right? So I mean, you're right, but the, the problem the problem with the YU argument is the the debate is: would do you consider YU a university or do you consider it a 
Okay, like a, a religious institute, right? But I know institute- that. But I, but that's the thing. I know all that. But my 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 thing is is that if you want to go to a secular school, right? I, I think secular schools should also have rules and and sexual taboos. But even more so, if a school is founded to 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 bolster a specific religious institution or a specific religious um, kind of mindset. And I would say the same thing if I were talking about a Catholic school. A Catholic school should be allowed to say, hey, we're not giving money to abortions, right? Because we're Catholic and that's what we do, right? So should YU be forced to have a gay-straight alliance? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not even talking about from the federal government. I'm talking about from its students. Like, shouldn't there be an expectation that at YU, if you go to YU, there's a certain level of, hey, we're going to uh, adhere to traditional Jewish standards and we're not going to have a gay-straight alliance because we're not we don't look at the world that way in terms of if you're either straight or you're gay we look at it as you're a person there's sin and there's there's virtue and you have to choose virtue no matter what you want right and that's that's the way it should be in the orthodox world uh, allegedly but we're you know they're pushing this woke ideology into it and i think part of it is that the 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 leadership both the rabbinic leadership and the lay leadership they're woke themselves that's a big claim. That's a big claim. Oh, don't um, worry. I, I, I will it. attack I, them. <laughs> Listen, I I'm, will I'm, attack I'm, them. Again, I'm. I don't see like I can understand how how some of this wokeness is sort of infiltrating the, the Orthodox Jewish community, but to me, it, it's probably mostly surface. I don't think it's on a deep ideological level. Where I see it being a, a more insidious threat again is is in the non traditional Jewish communities. Um, so and, I, I so I don't I disagree with you. My flag from, you know? Right. So I don't disagree with that. But you you'll see, like I live in 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 Israel, right, where there is no reform and conservative Judaism. It's just Orthodox mm-hmm. Judaism, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe well, Orthodox is not the best word, but either you are religious or you're not religious. It's just it's your degree of like well, how much you subscribe. All, to. All of the synagogues, all the synagogues are basically Orthodox, you're except for like the, you know. unless they say they're reform or conservative, they're Orthodox, right? Whereas in right. America, if you go to a Temple Emanuel, you know it's reform, right? Um, right? Here, it's like everything is Orthodox. It's just to what degree are you observant of Orthodox Judaism, right? But for example, I live in a quote unquote Orthodox community, but how many women do I know who are not traditional in the sense that, you know, they got, they went to university, they got all these fancy degrees and they're like in their late twenties, early thirties, they're not having kids anytime soon. They're just going to singles events and they're, you know, maybe learning Talmud or whatever, which I'm not against women learning Talmud. Don't take it that way. But in a traditional Orthodox society, these women would be expected to be having children, not getting 27 degrees. So it's they're not they're not even necessarily against orthodox values, but their behavior doesn't belie orthodox tradition. Like if they really believed in orthodox tradition, they wouldn't be spending their time like getting a PhD and who gives a shit, you know, like getting all these stupid degrees and then not having kids. No, like I like I don't even mean that. Like personally, like if a woman doesn't want to have kids, that's probably great for the rest of us because it means I don't have to deal with their children because they're probably unpleasant anyways. I'm talking, but I'm just saying like. Just from a like, if if I was observing this from the outside, I see that in a lot of the more insular communities, the women are expected to get married, and you can complain about the insular communities all you want. I have my complaints with them as well, but they're woke in a different sense. That even if they're not necessarily subscribing to wokeism, implicitly they are. Um, another thing I wanted to mention that the article did mention how how do these do you want to push these if by not accepting them you're pushing them away and i'm thinking to myself 
it's kind of similar to when someone wants to convert. Judaism is the only religion in the world that tries to convince people not to join our religion. So it's like a, it's like the same thing. It's like, do you want people who have that ideology like in your community? Now I know you don't want really Jews to like go away from Judaism, and I understand that. But there is a sense that be, if you do have people with that mindset in the community, it will corrupt the the you know it w eventually will maybe corrupt the ideology of the rest of the crowd. So do you actually want that? those people like it's like they're afraid oh you're gonna push them away but is that my question is is that a bad thing right so actually yeah. first of all i just want to acknowledge that as first of all it's a, it's a very true sentiment it's something that's been said to me multiple times to like like oh you're you're so against this and that well you're not going to accept me and my wife and my family into your community and you're pushing jews away right and and my immediate thought is like well why why are you pushing judaism away from yourself like 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 your ideology is is anti what our community has believed for such a long time and you're, and you're criticizing me for not accepting those ideas so so i don't know i'm conflicted because on one level i want to keep these ideas away from us and people they, they propagate ideas at the same time i do have this sort of chabad spirit in which I, I want to bring people back into the fold you know i want to be inclusive to everyone right so 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 in the in this so in the spirit of being anti-chabad the, the anti-Chabad thing I'm going to say is you can't save everyone. Some people are just doomed to, to their own foolishness. And sometimes you need to let people hang themselves on their own rope, you know? I'm like, obviously, like, if, if I'm being a little more sincere, I would say I agree with you. I don't want anyone to leave the fold. I would love if we could get all the Orthodox Jews to agree, or even just all the Jews, not even Orthodox, just all the Jews to agree on a standard, right? But the problem is, is that that's not in concert with reality. The reality is, is you're going to lose some people. That's always how it's been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <clears throat> in the Middle Ages, yeah, yeah. there were Jews that converted to Christianity. You know, there was Sabbateanism where we lost a lot of Jews to that. Um, you know, that's just the reality. So, no, it's true. My, it's my, true. so, you know, on the one hand, yes, I think on an individual level, it's a good idea to go out and I, for lack of a better word, proselytize to other Jews and tell them like Judaism yes. is great. But, you know, when you're talking about the actual, like what we believe, you can't sugarcoat it. You can't say like, you have I to say, it. these are our values and this is what we're standing by. And we'll let you in our synagogues to join us for prayer. But let I'm going to be damned if I'm going to let you anywhere near, near my kids, if you're telling my kids that they can be non-binary. Like th this lady in the article was saying that there are kids in Orthodox schools that identify as non-binary. Like what the hell is non-binary? Like I know what it is. I know what it is, but imagine if some rabbi who graduated YU in the 70s, right, heard what nine, nine, non-binary is. <laughs> like, like you didn't – like, I'm not even a big fan of YU, but I don't think any rabbi graduates from REITs to then deal with some kid who's non-binary. Like, it's it's so right. nuts. Like, you know, right. like to navigate I, that minefield. Is just, like, I'd be really curious to know what Ruff Salavage would be thinking if he was alive today. Yeah, that's um, – but that's the thing, like there, like everyone has their rabbi who, in history, they re they they really respect. Like for me, I think it's Maimonides and Rabbi Emden. I think Rabbi Emden, to a lesser degree, Moshe Chagiz. Um, but you've got those rabbis who you always like, kind of you want to transplant transplant them into your your time and kind of see what they would think. But I think we need to kind of be our own Maimonides. We need to say like we need to find the guy who's going to come against this now. Easily, the 
rabbi that easily comes to mind who talks against this is Rabbi Stephen Przansky. You've ever heard of him? Actually, I have not. So he was the head of B'nai Shurin, and even when he was the head of B'nai Shurin, even when he was the rabbi of B'nai Shurin, he would say things that would piss off all the right people, and you know it was all the right people, because he was saying he was saying base things before I even knew what the word based meant. Um, <laughs> and then, and now that he's he moved to Israel and he's not you know in charge of any congregation anymore, now he just spits out facts left and right. Um, and then there's also Rabbi Bar Chaim, which I who I really respect as well. I think he he I also respect him from a religious perspective that he's that he he kind of wants to reframe Judaism you know, away from the quote unquote orthodox way. And what I mean by that is that there, that orthodoxy as it was defined in response to reform Judaism, right? right? Which you have to acknowledge that orthodox Judaism, there was, there was really two uh, points in history that created orthodox Judaism as we know it. It was the first was a compilation of the Shulchan Aruch by Rabbi Karo. And then there was the response to the reform movement where they changed a lot of accepted attitudes towards halacha, such as uh, Minhag Shtut. So um, they changed. One, one might one might even assert that the the label of orthodox is already an insert of woke ideology in the Jewish community. Right, because it's the concept of ideology in Judaism is very amorphous, right? Like we didn't really have that. It would be more accurate to say it's orthoprax Judaism that you that you mm-hmm. practice the way. Because up until very recently, there it was more there was more of an emphasis on practice rather than uh, belief. Strict, not that mm-hmm. not that there was never things that would make you a heretic if you believe them, but rather that Judaism is also very very focused on works, not just on you know, not you know like you know like the whole Christian things like you're saved by faith alone, not by works. But Judaism, we you're right. saved by works more than you are by faith. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But wow, yeah, this is but this is a problem. I think I think our lay leadership failed. And I'm just gonna say this outright because I think a lot of the lay leadership, they and I think we all fell for it. Like the the problem with fighting wokeism, and this James Lindsay talks about it a lot, is to fight wokeism effectively, you need to be very precise with words. And I think up until now, rabbis didn't think that understanding the ins and outs of non binary was really part of their job. And the problem is being precise with words that they keep changing the definition. <laughs> right. But that's why James Lindsay says it's very important if you're fighting wokeism, you have to know exactly what you're talking about. Because wokeism is about – unlike other problems, wokeism – one of the problems with wokeism is that it's a moving target, right? So if you're if you're fighting wokeism, you need to know exactly what you're doing. You need to exactly know what they're talking about. You have to have like up-to-date – understandings of their way of looking at things. So you can say, this word means this nowadays. This is what the implication of this is. And this is why it disagrees with orthodoxy. And a lot of rabbis, they focus time on the Talmud and on the Tanya and on, you know, the Tanakh. And those things are all important, don't get me wrong. But what I think differentiates our rabbis today from the rabbis of yesteryear, from the Talmud, which is why I just like when I like when I read about the rabbis in the Talmud, I'm just always amazed by them. Is because the greatest rabbis of the Talmud, they also knew about Avodah Zarah. They they knew about Avodah Zarah and they knew how to serve it so that they could fight against it. But rabbis nowadays, they don't know how to fight things. Like they they don't like, and that and that's a problem because if you if you see an anti-Jewish movement, you need to understand it so that you could tell the kids not to do it. Yeah, I I, I hear you, and um, I I don't I don't disagree. I mean, I think they're. There's a lack of leadership, and and I mean, you know what I was thinking about as as you were saying it is um, in the whole sphere of uh, Israel activism and advocacy. This is more than ever present, 
um, you know, the, these ideas of, of wokeness because, you know, the whole, the whole praxis there is that you're trying to build alliances, right? You're, you're trying to build alliances with other communities. And so you have to take on some of their ideology in order to build those alliances. But that's actually like the, the Bible told us, like when, when, when they're talking about kings, they say that you shouldn't make too many alliances. Like kind of like the founding fathers, the, the Hebrew kings were not supposed to make such alliances. They're supposed to rely on faith in God alone. So, right. you know, so like the whole concept of Hasbara is a very anti-Tanakh movement because the reality is, is that you shouldn't have to make alliance. Like it shouldn't matter what stupid American teenagers think on college campuses, you know, right. for Israel. It, you, you, you rely on faith in the Lord, you know, in God, and you, you do what you need to do. Um, I would love to have a conversation where, you know, we, we get together a bunch of Jews who are all politically conservative, but come from different like sects, quote unquote, of Judaism. Like, you know, there's Orthodox and then there's a guy like me who doesn't really fit neatly anywhere. Um, and then, you know, we get bringing a conservative Jew and a reformed Jew, but that's going to take a long time. But, you know, hopefully you'll be on there as well, you know, because you're, you're probably more traditionally Orthodox than I am, I guess, for lack of a term. Uh, if, you, if you'd have me on, I'm not going to say no ever, you know that. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But we're very glad you came today to join us on the show. So, uh, Rody, do you want to uh, close us out? Uh, yeah. So Josh, um, would you like to let the audience know where they can find you or? Yeah. Once again, uh, I'm coming to represent low effort Zionist memes. Um, mostly active on Instagram at low effort Zionist memes, uh, dot three. And, um, we'll be expanding slowly. Surely we're expanding more, but, uh, definitely come interact with us there. And, uh, thank you guys for bringing me on. Really, really enjoyed my time. Yeah, and uh, thank you all for joining us this week. Please like this video, share it with your friends, and subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell to be updated on our latest uploads. In addition, we are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Audible, Stitcher, and all the other beloved podcast platforms. I don't know what you use, but, I mean, they're all out all, there. <laughs> chance, if it exists, chances are we're on it. Yeah. We look forward uh, to you all joining us next week. So see ya. Bye.